how much of your life do you put into this where you're trying to search for your family or live your own, just continue living your life? Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 135. Today, I am going to be listening to Ryan tell his story. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Lily. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being patient as I couldn't quite figure out our time zone differences today. I'm over in Scotland. So it's, the sun's out over here. <laughs> Strange. Is, is that where you grew up? Yes, Edinburgh, the capital. Good morning or good afternoon. It's 3 p.m. here. Oh, is it? Okay, Mr. Ryan, today we are going to be listening to your story. And I know you've actually already shared your story quite a bit on podcasts. Is that true? Yes, I think this is the seventh podcast I've done. Um, I've not done one in six months, so I might be a bit rusty, but... Hopefully all goes all goes well. What are some of the other podcasts you have been on? A lady called Eve. Oh, Eve uh, Sturgis. Everything's relative with Eve Sturgis. Yep, yeah, I've done a, a lady called Heidi. Oh, yes. And um, a lady called Jodie. I can't pronounce her second name. Starts with a K. Oh, yes. Oh, are you an adoptee? You're naming off adoptee podcasts as well. Yes, I'm an adoptee. Oh, wonderful. I will add that tag to this specific episode whenever we get an adoptee and an NPE on. Uh, a lot of our adoptee listeners are always very interested to hear. Okay, Mr. Ryan, let's go ahead and start with your family of origin and give me some of your background story and then we're going to take it from there. Great. I am 32 years old. Um, I've lived in Edinburgh but I was born in Morocco and um, I'm what's known as a foundling. Um, I was abandoned um, in the hospital with no information of any of my biological family. I was adopted um, by my parents, my fa adopted father's Moroccan, and my adopted mother's English. And I was um, then brought to Scotland after a lot of difficulties, because it's not easy to adopt over there. You have to go through so many meetings and so lots of paperwork, and it does cost a lot of money. So I was brought from Morocco to Scotland, and that's called uh, a transnational adoption. And also with my mo mother being white, there's a transracial adoption part 
And then, yeah, I grew up in Edinburgh. And I wasn't told I was adopted until I was age 18. And that's called an LDA, late discovery adoptee. And then added to that, I kept my adoption a secret for 12 years, not telling anyone. And I just kind of started opening up um, when lockdown came. And now I'm on this ad adoption journey, trying to look for a family in Morocco. Um, yeah, so that's a, a long story short there. <laughs> you are of Moroccan descent, or are you going to get, you're going to get into that? Yeah, so I was born in Morocco. My adopted dad is Moroccan. And then my adopted parents, they've got two biological siblings, but they were born in the UK. And they're quite fair skin, and I'm the same skin colour as my dad. I adopted dad, so adoption never crossed my mind. When I was 18, I wasn't interested about finding any of my biological family. Um, and it just when time passed, that when lockdown happened with COVID, that's when I started um, asking lots of questions. Back to when you were 18, before we get into your search for your family during COVID, when you were 18 and your parents told you you were adopted, how how was that for you? It just, my world felt like it was over. I was, um, I ran out of the house crying and yeah, I felt broken. And I just had against the me against the world attitude. I got my own flat and I got a job and I just yeah, I just started working and standing on my own two feet, but keeping all this bottled up, which wasn't good uh, in the long run. Oh, I can't even imagine how that must have felt as an 18-year-old, how shocking and confusing that had been. Yeah, so I was, I was told, um, I wasn't told that I was told because my mum was scared to tell me um, and you just couldn't find the right moment. Some people are told in more horrific circumstances um, and just lied to. But it took me a while to understand and come to terms with it. But regardless, it's still, it's still quite damaging. Um, and you are supposed to tell your kids um, from a young age if they're adopted. My parents weren't advised that. Um, there wasn't much guidance or help. But yes, it uh, plays on my mind a lot. Yes, I know some of the old information was that the parents were to just raise the child as one of their own. And now, current information, we all know, you weave this in as part of their storyline and you tell them starting at a young age to reduce the trauma, because it is a trauma, finding out you aren't related to your parents. Um so if anyone's listening and you have a young child that is adopted or donor conceived or an NPE, tell them at a young age, please, please. I felt 
with my situation of um, being an orphan, being a foundling, being transracial, transnational, and an LDA. Um, I was told that adoptees were only like 1% or 5% of the population, so quite small numbers. And then with my scenarios, mm-hmm. I'm even, um, I'm a minority within a minority. So some days it does get me, does get me down. But I'm, I am doing my best to um, keep my spirits up and yeah, just crack on and enjoy life. Would you like to share how you found out more about your family then when you went searching during COVID times? What happened was I used to do a lot of traveling in my 20s. used to do a lot of partying as well. Um, And when COVID happened, we couldn't travel anywhere. So then that was, um, and I've always had an idea of doing a year of no alcohol and no drugs. And then when COVID happened, that's when I decided to have a year off the drinking drugs and um, tackle my adoption. And I'd done my year off the drinking drugs and everyone was saying I should feel great, but I still hadn't told, uh, opened up about my adoption. So when I finally did, that was a big relief. Um, and it was also during that process, you'd find out about all the support groups that's out there, all the podcasts, and just meeting other adoptees because um, over the years I hadn't meeting that many. And before I was quite a closed book, and now I can tell my whole life story to a stranger in the street. And um, yeah, I just. Um, I had the plan to go to Morocco and try and find some of my family. And um, I've not been to Morocco since age 10. So, um, yeah, it was it was a long process. Um, and it, some days I, I didn't even have the energy to or the confidence to go over. And then other days um, I was I was ready to go. And it was also um, quite scary going alone. I had some people say they would come with me and then they'd pull out. And I was also trying to get in touch with the embassy. And because they're really busy, it, did, it took them like seven months to get back to me. So I was left in limbo there. But I did manage to finally get it booked in June. And I went over uh, and searched for all my family. And um, yeah, that process was um, yeah got went to the hospital that looked after me, and fortunately they they sent me round and round in circles, and they said that the person looking after the archive system was on holiday holiday, so I had to come back on Monday, and I was going home on Sunday, but they didn't tell me that the first thing. They sent me around to the courts and several different buildings. And I believe in Morocco, nothing ever happens quickly. So, yeah, I was, I was on like a wild goose chase there. 
And I also went to two TV studios and I got myself on TV over there. And um, yeah, there was, I just tried to spread awareness to my story. There were some people who called up, but I didn't have any leads. Um, but uh, there is, I met a lot of friendly people over there in Morocco. And I met some of my foster family because when I was adopted, um, my parents had to leave me in Morocco for three months because they had to go home and get more money to finish the adoption process. So this family of four, um, sorry, family of six looked after me. And then I met two of that family of six in Morocco. And they were very welcoming and all their all the families, they were calling me their brother. And I'd never met them, and they were always inviting me in their house, giving me food. So I did enjoy the culture. Um, but it was when I returned from Morocco, and, yeah, I was kind of expecting to get good news from my first trip. But it was a step forward. But, um, yeah, I think due to some personal issues that were going on in my life. Um, all the bad news hit me at once, and I have had a few dips um, over the last couple of months. But I'm trying to keep in good spirits and uh, planning on going again to Morocco um, to try and find something. And if I, if I don't have any luck, then put it to bed, because over the last couple of years, I has took over my life and my life's just been put on pause. I mean, I'm torn between, I'm looking to find family that won't probably be able to speak Arabic, English. I'm not from the culture. And I, yeah, they, um, I might not have a connection with them. But there is a thought of like, why am I doing this? But my head tells me I need to search um, while I can just now just to find answers. And I'm a bit gutted I didn't search at age 18, but I don't think I was ready at that age. No, I can't think of very many 18-year-olds that would be ready to search for their original parents or whatever whatever word you call that, birth parents. Yeah, biological family. Your biological family. Do you speak Arabic or French? No. So that's why when I went to Morocco, I had lots of people um, helping me translate. And then you're using Google Translate. It was fun at the start, but then towards the end of the trip, it was getting quite frustrating. Oh, I so imagine. I've done the, um, the DNA sites. And from the DNA sites, I've met some fourth cousins. And the, that's really low, a low match. but. All of them have been really helpful to me um, regarding my search. And, yeah, I'm forever thankful for, to them. Yeah, I'm just hoping that I can find something. Um, because it's, it's not good put, putting your life on hold for the search. It can be very draining. It's like a stop-start process. Yeah, I'm just doing my best to see what I can find. Oh, Ryan, are you, your family, you've only found a fourth cousin? Have you found anything 
Um, and I shouldn't say only, that's amazing to have found your biological family at all, but have you been able to find any closer family, like siblings, first cousins, parents? That's that's what I'm looking for. No, uh, the reason because um, in Morocco, DNA um, is, well, in the UK, is £80 to £100 for the DNA. Um, I don't know what that is in dollars. Um, I think maybe $100. Um, and in Morocco, I don't think you can get the DNA sites. Um, and not many people can afford that amount of money. Um, so, yeah, but I, I would need to have a lead to find out who is my parent. And I, did, I did get that a lot. A lot of people phoned me and says, I know who your family are. So they got my hopes up. And then it turns out to be a dead end. And that happens quite a lot. And it was, um, I can imagine they'd be on a high and then finding out there was nothing on a low. And that's what's happened a lot from my adoption journey because my adoption's quite a rare one. Yeah, I message all these companies for help, um, TV programmes, newspapers, and... Um, not many people, I just, just get sent round and round in circles because not many people can really help me. So it's, it's quite tough. When I'm in a good mood, in good spirits, I can, I can handle it, but some days it does get to me. Yes, and what an important reminder how privileged you have to be to even be able to afford these DNA testing kits, which can be a hundred or more dollars. Ancestry has one database, definitely more than 30 million people in the Ancestry database. And then there's 23andMe, um, which has more of a presence overseas, but has a smaller database. So if you haven't had a family member ever take a DNA test, they're not going to show up necessarily as a result in your DNA matches. I think there's a system over in Morocco that does something with DNA and fingerprints. Um, so that's another avenue I'm going to take. But this is all a learning process for me because I grew up in Scotland and we don't have any of that. I've tried about six DNA sites. Um, I try and explore every avenue. So at least I know that I've tried my best trying to find my family. If I, if I have no luck, I, at least I've got some uh, knowledge to help someone else in case they were looking because I've knocked on everyone's door to try and get some help. And uh, so at least I can direct others if they're struggling. Have you ever spoken with the volunteer team called DNA Angels? So I've got a few friends who are um, who are uh, search angels. I've not. I don't think I've spoken to volunteer angels, but uh, the search angels. These are people who do help you search for your family for free. They've looked at my DNA accounts, and because my matches are too low, it's um, it's just an it's a real struggle. Um, 
yeah, it's a bit too much of a task. So I've just got to play the waiting game in the hope that someone who's got a higher match in the DNA site does the test in the world and then pops up. Yeah, I'm going to go to Morocco. I've got a spare DNA kit there. So if I have any leads, then, yeah, just uh, see how we get on. But as, as you can imagine, um, how much of your life do you put into this where you're trying to search for your family or live your own, just continue living your life? Um, so I've started this journey in March 2020. And, um, yeah, it's... I've... Um, it's been all, it's been on my mind all the time, and it can be very exhausting. And I lost um, a relationship out of it, and yeah, it's some people, yeah, some people can't see my side of side of what I'm doing. Some people don't want to search, um, and sometimes I wish I didn't search just because it's. It's been really draining, but I'm sticking to my guns. I'm gonna gonna go go again and see what I can find. Just because you feel you feel a bit lost being an adoptee, so that's why I feel even more lost because I was an LDA, because I'm an orphan, because transracial, transnational kept it a secret, and. Then I went to Morocco, never found anything, lost the relationship. Yeah, it's just added yeah, more and more bad news. And some days I'm really optimistic and I'm, I'm okay with it. And then some days it gets me down. So I'm just, um, yeah, just doing my best to try and keep a positive mindset because I have got a good adopted family um, and I have got good friends. But when I get really low, I just push everyone away and that's been happening quite a lot lately. So I want to try and just, because I'm usually a positive person, everyone comes to me for help. Sometimes it can get, like I just, I don't feel myself when I'm rock bottom. I know you are currently in some of the LDA, late discovery adoptee groups. Mm-hmm. Have you found those to be supportive and helpful? And do you have any recommendations for maybe a Facebook group or an online group that you're a part of? I think I'm a part of about five or 10 Facebook groups. Um, they were really helpful to me right at the start. There's not many, it's mostly American ones. So if, if anyone's after any of that information, they can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram and I can share them all. I don't think there's not one that stands out. Yeah, I'm in about 60 Facebook groups regarding my adoption. Sometimes there's a bit information overload, but that's how determined I am to try and um, 
try and get help and spread my story. Because when I told my story online, I shared loads of support, which was really nice. Um, which shows you that strangers care. And um, I'm the same. I would, um, I would help anyone else if they needed it. Because I think all us adoptees need to stick together. Um, yeah, I go, I go to a lot of support groups. Not all the time, but usually they find them useful. It can be information overload, though, can't it? With with some of the groups, I have found myself having to take a step back when I get overwhelmed. And the fact that they are American-centric, it, that doesn't help you with your search because you are looking for biological family in Morocco. And that's yep. not... I. I I can see the systems are different there. The DNA sites are different. I could see how challenging that would be on your search for your biological family. Yeah, with Morocco, um, it's a very Muslim country. So they said if um, if a kid's born out of wedlock, um, the mother could be suffering from poverty or she could have been another severe circumstance where it was an affair and if the authorities know that then the mother can get in trouble if she's had an affair or yeah or she's she can be frowned upon if she's bringing the kid up alone so there's so many reasons why i was adopted that i don't know and yeah, they're just so many people have told me, don't go to Morocco. Your birth family don't want you. You've got a family here. They might be right, but they also it's everything's all speculation. I'm just I would like answers and I thought at least I'd try. And if I did find my family, anyone, I would just like to say thank you. Um because I'm grateful. Um, it's not as if I'm going over there wanting something. I've not met many Moroccan adoptees either, so I would like to for people to reach out. Um, and I've asked everyone that I know, and there's not many Moroccan adoptees. It does make me feel again a bit lonely. It's all about my mindset. I need to try and just be, just have a positive mindset and not let these things get to me and remember what the people I have got in my life and hopefully try and be an inspiration to others. And you are looking for answers and you're very open to having people reach out to you, adoptees, NPEs. I know you're on a search for your biological family. You have a presence online. You've been on many podcasts so people are going to want to know how to contact you. How how can we get in touch with you, Ryan? Yeah, just um, through Facebook, Instagram. Um, would you like me to send you a list of all my podcasts? Or sure, um, all, all my details. And um, when I told you, I tell I told my story. My story is um, a fifteen minute video on YouTube, or there's a twenty page more detailed version version um, on WordPress. 
So um, when I've said that to people, most people have said they found that useful. And um, yeah, I'm happy to share with anyone. And when, I, when people are interested in my story, it feels like I'm doing something by telling my story. Um, and it makes me feel, yeah, um, useful. It's quite, I get quite nervous doing this stuff, but yeah, I just, just try and do your best and um, hopefully it helps someone. Well, I have your Instagram handle, Pesci37, if people want to reach out to you there. And you'll send me a list so I can include more information about you in the show description if they want to hear more about your story or if they want to get in touch with you. But as for today, you said you have a good support system, good family and friends. How... How is your relationship with your adoptee fam with your adopted family right now? Yeah, um, they're fine. They're um, supportive. Um, my mum really worries because who wants her son going to an African country on his own, searching for family? And um, some Moroccans are quite known as um, scam artists. It's actually tried to happen to me. Some people said, well, can you send me £6,000 and I'll help you find your family? And then I went to the hospital and said, no, you don't need to pay. So there's quite a lot of people who want money. And I think you just have to be careful. But, um, yeah, I've got supportive family, adopted family and supportive friends and even supportive um people in Morocco but yeah I'm just waiting to get closer to, to any answers because when, when I was going to Morocco I managed to get on um, the newspapers here at a company called Long Lost Families um, not the TV show um, they, they helped me a little bit but yeah if you, I'm not found any family yet feels like everything what I'm doing is one step closer. Just got to uh, keep my fingers crossed and hopefully I find something. I, although I love and appreciate the positive attitude you have for this, I can only imagine how frustrating this is. And it seems to be a slow process. You've been working on this for years now. So I'm just sending you all of my good thoughts in your search and in your quest. I hope you find more information. I hope a match pops up for you. I just really appreciate you sharing where you're, where you are at with your story today. Thank you so much, Ryan. Well, thank you for having me. And, um, fingers crossed for the future. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Mm-hmm.